Gareth Newham is the head of the Justice and Violence Prevention Program at the Institute for Security Studies. Uh, Gareth, thanks so much for your time today. Ten questions uh, that can hopefully simplify and make understandable what has come out of the uh, July riots report from the South African Human Rights Commission. Was the July unrest a spontaneous outpouring of rage caused by the incarceration of former President Jacob Zuma or something more sinister and calculated? From the information that is available, it is something more sinister and calculated. It was planned. There were people who planned this to take place. Uh, I don't think they foresaw the scale of it, but certainly we had people planning it. And very shortly, the day after uh, Jacob Zuma was incarcerated. We saw very deliberate attempts at shutting down freeways, uh, hijacking of trucks, burning trucks, setting sugarcane fields on fire, and, and protests that were organized um, by people on the back of white buckies, as we saw from various video footage, calling people to protest. Uh, so certainly it wasn't something that was just a spontaneous response. It was definitely a calculated move to try and cause disruption cause damage, cause chaos, uh, with the intent uh, that we saw early on from social media posts to shut South Africa down. They really actually wanted to shut the entire country down, not just KwaZulu-Natal and parts of Gauteng. But then it spread. Um, then you started seeing uh, other groups coming to the fore. So as soon as it was quite clear, the police were overwhelmed, battling to move from place to place because of the freeways being shut, because the roads being closed and so forth. Then we saw local criminal networks starting to hit uh, shopping malls, starting to hit uh, warehouses. Um, they would usually come in quite well organized with buckies, angle grinders. They would open up the place, steal the high end or valuable items. And usually about half an hour later, uh, you would see the local population opportunists coming in. And that's when a lot of the, the, the mass looting started to take place. So there were different groups overlapping certain ways over the period of the, the, the violence um, in that week. Were the scenes of anarchy the culmination of infighting between different camps in the ANC? Well, that is what sparked it, I think. Um, certainly those within the ANC who are very loyal to the former president uh, and tend to call themselves the radical economic transformation faction have very, been very vocal about supporting the former president uh, throughout all his trials and tribulations. Um, they were warning of violence in the days running up to incarceration. So there were the gatherings of people outside in Kandla. There was definitely people stating at that point that should the president be arrested, there would be violence. So they were clearly warning that something was going to happen if the president was held accountable for refusing to engage with the constitutional court. Were any rogue characters or units within state security or crime intelligence loyal to uh, former President Zuma believed to be linked or actively involved in fueling uh, what we saw in July? Yes, it's highly likely and that, that is believed. Uh, it's one of the reasons why they haven't been arrested. We've seen uh, quite a few hundreds, well, there were thousands of people arrested and there's about 700 cases enrolled, mostly for either instigating on social media, but also looting and theft and those kinds of crimes. But the orchestrators appear to have had inside information as to the capabilities of the police. They knew how to disrupt the police movements. They also knew of supply chains. They knew of critical infrastructure. 
that was operational in Gauteng and KwaZulu-Natal. And so they used that knowledge to good use. Uh, so it does seem that it's highly likely that either former intelligence or police operatives or even current operatives were involved in the planning and some of the initial instigation. However, they would also be very careful and knowledgeable about how to cover their tracks so as not to leave any evidence available to law enforcement agencies who are then later going to try and link them to these crimes, which is probably why we haven't seen any uh, notable arrests of people for crimes such as um, planning and orchestrating this uh, violence. You've partly uh, answered this already, but I'll ask it again. Uh, did organized crime have a hand in this, as the panel suggests, or was this a uh, fortuitous mixture um, of explosive socioeconomic factors aligning with the whims of criminals and a faction of the ANC? Well, there were alignment of various interests coming to play around the violence. So as soon as it was clear that the police were overwhelmed and unable to respond and prevent uh, the looting from taking place, and this was happening in real time in both traditional media but also social media, it then became apparent that organized networks crime syndicates that are operating at a local level then stepped in, knowing quite well they could hit a warehouse or a shopping center without the police stopping them. And so they started to come to the fore. Uh, they then caused the breach in security that then allowed for mass looting to take place. It is important to recognize that most people living um, in those communities where a lot of this violence took place did not engage in looting. It was large numbers of people, uh, but it was not most people. And also that the violence was contained mostly to Kwazinatol and a few parts of Gauteng. It didn't spread beyond that. Um, so although the socioeconomic factors that encouraged the kind of opportunistic looting we saw in these two provinces, uh, the high levels of unemployment, hunger, people losing their jobs due to COVID, would have been a push factor for a large number of the, the opportunistic looters. Um, those factors didn't come into play in other parts of the country. In fact, most of the country did not participate in this kind of uh, violence. Is it fair to say police and intelligence structures failed completely uh, in their mandates? Well, given that uh, their mandates are to ensure national security, to prevent and reduce crime, one would say, yes, they did fail in their mandates. Um, certainly, the budgets that are spent on our state security architecture is quite considerable. The police have close to 100 billion rand annually, one of the most well-resourced policing uh, organizations on the continent and compares very well across most developing countries. So yes, given the vast amount of money spent on police and intelligence, um, this is not really acceptable that they weren't able to uh, get wind of this quickly enough um, be able to prevent it from happening in the first place, and even where they weren't able to prevent certain ac actions and, and, and uh, attempts at blockading roads and stuff from happening, being able to respond more innovatively and quickly to prevent this from spreading to the extent that it did. Well, that leads to my next question. Could this have been avoided? In other words, is there evidence to suggest that there were warnings from crime intelligence or state security? Well, the evidence before the high-level panel showed that the national intelligence did have indications that there was violence likely in 2021. Um, they did not provide those intelligence reports to the high-level panel, so they can't get the extent to how much evidence or how much intelligence was at play. But certainly, we now know from um, 
you know, en engagements with people involved or who are victims of a lot of the uh, attacks on shopping center that there was a lot of information that something was brewing, that something was coming up. A lot of the suppliers to big uh, retail outfits and that were actually saying something's going to happen. And in some of these uh, retail outfits actually pulled their security back because they knew that there was no ways they could actually handle this kind of onslaught. So it was not only that there were people publicly threatening violence at least a week before the violence took place outside of Nkandla. There was uh, further information beforehand that was reaching even at least the private sector. So, yeah, certainly this, this is something that could have been foreseen and, and could have been prevented. Just also to mention that we've had mass truck burnings on the N3 Niamoy River Plaza before. We've had mass school burnings in Bawani. We've had days and days of xenophobic attacks. Uh, the most no notorious was back in 2008. So that the South African Police Service does not, on an annual basis, do a, a clear risk, a national risk assessment for when supply chains can be blocked, for when violence can break out and spread, and then orientate its resourcing, training, um, and, re, uh, um, and, and planning towards that likelihood. Because we have had quite large-scale outbreaks of gang violence, taxi warfare, you know, two to 300 people get killed a year in taxi warfare alone. That they're not planning for this was actually uh, an indictment on them. Has our government learned anything out of the July unrest period it didn't or shouldn't already have known? I think they realized how badly the policing capability has deteriorated and how much damage uh, the politicization of our intelligence capability, both at the state security agency and within police crime intelligence, how, how badly that's damaged that capability. Um, as I mentioned before, the overall police budget, but crime intelligence alone has a 4 billion rand annual budget and over 8,000 uh, officials in that division. So that that huge capability um, wasn't able to respond preventatively is really because of the massive political destabilization that's been taking place at the top of that organization, top of that division for a long period of time since Richard Mbluli was first appointed there um, shortly after President Zuma uh, was sworn in. So I think they've started to realize how badly damaged some of our key state security architecture has been because of state capture, because of the, the nine years of corruption under the former president. Can or might something like this and on this scale happen again? It could happen again. I think, however, that uh, this has been a big wake-up call. There's now, as you've seen, been, uh, some ministers have been moved. Um, the intelligence state security agency is now directly within the presidency. Um, there's a much bigger focus on the capabilities both of the state security agency and of police. There have been threats uh, that have been very quickly responded to subsequent to July. There was another one towards the end of August last year, and apparently there's been a few others. So I think that the orientation of our intelligence and our policing has adjusted to uh, try to prevent this. And so I hope that that uh, will prevent something from that kind of scale happening again. But we really do need to start seeing wholesale institutional reform, both in the state security agency and within the police, if we really want to see um, our abilities to improve public safety overall, not just to prevent large-scale outbreaks of violence like this, but, for example, to turn around our ever-escalating murder rate, which has increased by almost 40% since 2012. Robbery is going up almost 43%. So um, in order not only to prevent this, but to make us safer, we need to see large-scale institutional reform in the criminal justice system. Is the recent sacking or 
mutual agreement to leave of the National Police uh, Commissioner Kehla Sitole a positive development for policing in South Africa? Yes, it certainly is. It's a very early first but necessary step. Uh, Kehla Sitole was appointed by former President Zuma days before the ANC 2017 elective conference. And for most of his time in office, he's been caught up in the scandal related to the fraudulent procurement of um, communications interception devices called a grabber. There's been two court case findings against him, both a high court uh, ruling and a Supreme Court of Appeal ruling saying that he failed in his duties as a police official and acted in the interests of a faction of the African National Congress instead of the public of South Africa. So he's had a serious credibility problem both within and without the police and has not been able uh, to sort out the leadership crisis facing the South African Police Service since he was appointed. So this is a necessary first step. Should Police Minister, Minister Becky Tele have been booted out as well? Well, the high level panel talks about a failure at cabinet level and says that the cabinet ultimately should take responsibility. And of course, that was very clear and public when we saw the ministers fighting uh, through the media about what they knew and what they didn't know. Um, so certainly, I think there's a, a bigger issue there. It's not just about the minister of police. Surely he does need to look at his role. Um, but I think in future, there needs to be a lot more focus on for example, what is the role of the minister and what are the roles of the ministers in the security cluster and how do they work better together so that they're all on the same page? And then what is the difference between providing executive oversight and policy direction and interfering in operational matters? I think one of our big problems in South Africa is that untrained ministers with political interests and some of them with not exactly honorable interests linked to corruption, have been directly interfering in the operational affairs of our state security agencies uh, and of our police and of our criminal justice system organizations. Uh, that was rife under President Zuma. And although we have had good people appointed since then to try and uh, stop the deterioration, this needs to be codified in law so that there is very real direct and personal accountability mechanisms um, and sanctions for ministers who overstep the boundaries and uh, contribute to the kind of destruction that we've seen happening during the Zumba years in our criminal justice system. Gareth Newham at the ISS, thanks so much for your time. Thank you.